The Rural Health Voice, Episode 56, Meningitis. Welcome to the Rural Health Voice. I am Beth O'Connor, your host. We discuss rural health issues at the grassroots level and how state and federal policies play out in our local communities. With all the talk about the COVID vaccine, have we forgotten about other vaccines? Dr. Ferdeus Hazan, medical science liaison with Sanofi Pasteur, joined me to discuss meningitis and the need to get vaccinated. So welcome, Dr. Hazan. Thank you, Beth. Nice to be here. Oh, yeah. So let's do a little bit of background first. How did you first become interested in vaccines and infectious diseases? Well, uh, it's been a long journey for me. I was born in a small town in Bangladesh. And after my high school, I went to Bangalore, India for my BSc and MSc. And after that, in 1999, I joined ICDDRB as a research officer. Those who don't know what is ICDDRB, it's an international research organization, and at that time was mostly focused on enteric disease. Parents would bring their children with diarrhea and cholera all the time, especially in summer, where the outbreaks used to happen. I think these were the initial events that made me very interested in research that could prevent infectious disease. After my PhD in Japan, I came to NIH as a postdoctoral fellow and worked on otitis media vaccine. And this experience gave me a fundamental knowledge about how to develop a vaccine. In 2012, I joined a pediatric hospital in Kansas City, Missouri, as a research scientist at their microbiology department. This was the time I also got involved with NVSN network. NVSN or New Vaccine Surveillance Network is funded by CDC and includes seven institutions across USA. The primary focus of this network was to find out the effectiveness of rotavirus and influenza virus vaccine in children. I was with this network for seven years. I got first-hand experience about the tremendous impact of vaccine on child's health and how many lives vaccine can save or prevent a severe disease. After being with that network for seven years in 2019, I joined Sanofi Pasteur as a medical science liaison. And those who are not familiar with Sanofi Pasteur, it's one of the largest vaccine manufacturer in the world. As a company, we believe that no one should suffer or die from vaccine-preventable disease. And that is my uh, short background and why I am interested in vaccine. Sure. So with with, uh, Sanofi Pasteur, does the Pasteur name relate back to Louis Pasteur? Yes. In fact, uh, it was a lot of uh, merger and acquisition, but Pasteur goes back uh, to Louis Pasteur. And... You know, when I think Louis Pasteur, I think of the pasteurization process, but he also developed vaccines for anthrax and rabies. Yes, that is that is correct. That is correct. And that is the start of the vaccination in modern history. And with vaccines, we we're going to talk a little bit about meningitis vaccine. But before that, we know that coming up very soon 
is World Meningitis Day. What's, what's that all about? So every year, April 24 is designated as a World Meningitis Day. The goal is to increase the awareness about the disease among the healthcare providers and among the general population. In 2020, with the help of uh, officials from various countries, professional organizations, scientists, and policymakers, WHO, or World Health Organization, developed a roadmap to defeat meningitis by 2030. The vision of this roadmap is to have a world free of meningitis. In that vision, it has three specific goals. The number one goal was to eliminate bacterial meningitis epidemics from the world. The number two was to reduce the cases and deaths from vaccine-preventable bacterial meningitis. And number three was to reduce disability and improved quality of life after meningitis due to any cause. So that roadmap was taken and approved in 2020, and the goal is to defeat meningitis or have a world free of meningitis by 2030. Well, that sounds like an ambitious goal, but I'm going to admit that I really don't know anything about meningitis at all. What, what is it? So meningitis is an inflammation or swelling of the protective membrane covering the brain and the spinal cord. So it's caused by bacteria or virus or fungi or some other infectious agents. So among these pathogens, bacterial meningitis is one of the deadliest and most disabling form of the illness. It can lead to death within 24 hours and leave one in five people with lifelong disability after infection. So that is up to 20%. Those who survived can suffer a lifelong disability. It has been estimated that in 2017 alone, about 5 million new cases of meningitis occurred in the world. And that led to 290,000 deaths. That's a lot of death and not of burden. But we have to remember that wherever it occurs, whether it is a developed country or developing country, rich country or poor country, meningitis presents a major challenge for the health system, the economy, and the society. So you, you gave me some statistics about you know, what's going on worldwide. What, what's happening specific to the United States? How common is it? So um, in the U.S., fortunately, in the U.S., meningitis, is, meningitis or meningococcal disease are not that much common because we have vaccine against some of the pathogens, some of the bacterial pathogens that can cause meningitis. Uh, we have very active, effective vaccine. For example, we have good vaccine against streptococcus pneumonia. We have a good vaccine against hemoplast type B. We have a good vaccine against meningitis, uh, Neisseria meningitis. Now, if we talk about meningococcal disease in the U.S. specifically, it has been reported that during 2015 to 2018, there are about 360 cases occurred in the U.S. So that represents about 
0.1 cases per 100,000 population. So that doesn't seem a lot because 0.1 cases per 100,000, but we need to understand that each case requires an extensive workout. For example, a contract tracing, contract tracing, it requires a mass vaccination, it requires a prophylactic antibiotic treatment to anybody that came close contact with that person. So it requires a lot of societal burden. It puts a lot of societal burden in the US as well. Now, there are in the Nigeria meningitis bacteria that can cause meningococcal disease or meningitis in the US, there are five serotypes the zero two, zero group B, C, and Y are the major cause of meningococcal disease in the US. Serotype A is the mostly causes meningitis in the sub-Saharan African countries. The proportion of cases caused by each serogroup varies by age group. Approximately 50 to 60% of disease among children aged 0 to 59 months is caused by the serogroup B and we don't have a vaccine for that particular age group. Serogroup C, W, and Y, that causes about 73% of all cases of meningococcal disease among persons 11 years and older. And again, although these numbers doesn't seem to really high, we have to understand that we have to keep that hard immunity, what we call as a hard immunity, so that we don't have a outbreak in our community. And again, I cannot emphasize enough that a single cause of meningitis can put really a lot of stress to our health system. When you were talking about the societal burdens, you know, the, the numbers on a whole may not sound like a lot, but it's going to sound like a lot when it's your family member or your neighbor or somebody else in your community. Exactly. That is so true. Yes, I totally agree with you. And with the societal burden, is there anything that's specific to rural communities that our listeners need to know about? Well, uh, in the rural community, again, um, it's another great question. And as I said, uh, uh, most meningi meningitis or meningococcal disease cases are sporadic in nature, and 98% are sporadic cases, and 2% are kind of a small outbreak. And we don't see that many cases in the US. So it is really, really difficult to point out uh, or differentiate between a case scenario in a rural area versus urban area because of the number of cases is so low. But personal hygiene and washing hands uh, can decrease any infection, including uh, meningitis. In general, people living in a rural area tend to have less vaccine uptake than the urban areas, and that is true. We also know that vaccination is the one of the key steps, and simply increasing the vaccination rate could certainly protect us from meningitis. So healthcare providers, nurse practitioner, primary healthcare providers, doctors, physician, they need to proactively discuss about meningitis vaccine to their patient. And studies and after studies have shown that the patient trusts their healthcare provider more than anything 
and the strong recommendation from them would certainly increase a vaccination uptake in any community. So is this the vaccine that people typically get when they're a little kid, like you do the mumps and measles type of stuff, or is this something you get when you're older? Well, so we have two different type of vaccine against uh, meningococcal disease. We have one vaccine that are effective against meningitis serotypes ACWY, and we have a second vaccine that protects against serotype B. And based on these two different vaccines, ACIP recommends two different provides a two different recommendation. So let's talk about what's the recommendation for menin meningitis ACWI or main ACWI vaccine. And then we'll talk about main B vaccine recommendation by ACIP. So ACIP recommends a routine vaccination with main ACWI at 11 and 12 years of age. So first dose at 11 and 12, and with a second dose at 16 years of age. For adolescents who received a first dose 13 to 15, for any cases they missed 11 and 12 years first dose vaccination, but they came back to the physician at age 13 through 15, they should get a second dose between age 16 and 18, be just before they are going to college. Patient who receive a first dose after their 16th birthday, then there is no need for second dose. That is the ACIP recommendation, unless they become at increased risk. Now, you may ask me why we need a second dose at 16 years of age, and why not one dose is enough? Because the study on antibody persistence data has conducted among adolescents and adults, and that study demonstrated that antibody wins after three to five years after the primary vaccination. So the antibody really remains stable and effective for first three to five years and then it started winning. So one vaccine effectiveness study conducted by the CDC from 2006 to 2013, initial vaccine effectiveness was found to be 79% after one dose of main ACWI vaccine. However, it dropped to 69 after three years and 61 between three to eight years. So for this reason, to keep the antibody level high, a second dose is recommended at 16 to 18 years. In addition to adolescents, those, these are routine vaccinations. So any adolescents 11 and 12 years and 16 years, they should get first dose and second dose. But in addition to that, ACIP also recommends main ACWI vaccine to person is two months and older who are at increased risk of meningococcal disease. And that includes person with anatomic or functional splenia, including sickle cell disease, people living with HIV, people with persistent complement component deficiency, or people that use complement inhibitor. So those, those people also should get a main ACWI vaccine. Or 
In addition to this, person who are traveling two months and older and traveling to endemic area where meningitis is epidemic or endemic, for example, Sub-Saharan Africa, they should also get a main ACWY vaccine before they travel to those areas. In addition, vaccine is also recommended um, for people that are unvaccinated or incompletely vaccinated first-year college student living in residence hall, dorm, military recruits, or microbiologist with occupational exposure. That means they are more likely to get exposed to this bacteria. And these people actually should get a vaccine every five years if they remain in that increased risk condition. So if you are otherwise healthy and you don't have any underlying medical condition or you, you are not at increased risk, then and you are 20 years and older, you don't need any vaccine for main ACWI. Now, let's talk about main B recommendation or meningitis B vaccine recommendation. ACIP currently recommends routine use of main B vaccine among persons 10 years and older who are at increased risk of serogroup B meningococcal disease. And these people are who have persistent complement component deficiency, persons who have anatomic or functional asplenia, again, microbiologists who routinely exposed to the bacteria, or persons who are identified to be at increased risk because of main B outbreak. So these are the routine recommendations. ACIP also recommends that adolescents and adults aged 16 to 23 years, when they are just going to college or they are in college, may be vaccinated with a main B vaccine to provide short-term protection. And ACIP called this as a shared decision-making. And when it comes to shared decision-making, sometimes this is confusing to the healthcare provider because it's not a routine recommendation. So what a physician or healthcare provider need to do is they need to analyze the risk benefit for that particular patient and whether a vaccine is beneficial or not. If the physician or healthcare provider seems that a vaccine is going to be beneficial for that particular patient, then main B vaccine is uh, recommended for that particular patient. Now, you mentioned you specifically called out the need for college students in dorms or young adults in military barracks to get vaccinated. Is there some, some special thing that, that makes them higher risk? How, how does this bacteria even spread? Yes. Uh, so the primary mode of transmission is by respiratory droplet or by direct contact. So that means a coughing sneezing, kissing, sharing, eating utensils, water bottle, lip, lip balm, can all contribute to this transmission. So in addition, the crowded setting can also facilitate transmission, which means that college dorm, the, where the kids can, in one room there are four or five kids, or one room there are a couple of hundred kids. Those kind of crowded condition are can also facilitate transmission. 
and military barracks, bar, restaurants, this all can facilitate transmission because all the time we can sneeze and cough in each other and the adolescents, they really don't care that much about the personal hygiene than the compared to other age population. Uh, and another important thing is uh, that human is the only natural reservoir for this bacteria. Human, there is no other host for this. And among all the human, 10 to 20% of people can carry this bacterium in their nose and throat. So that means they may not get or they may not show any symptom, but still this carrier can pass this bacteria to other people and make them sick. So that is why it is really, really important that we get ourselves protected uh, from this bacteria by vaccinating. Well, and with the symptoms, you talked earlier about how fast meningitis hits. Are there particular things that I should watch out for? Like if I was concerned about, you know, somebody in my community or one of my employees, I, is, is there something that should send a warning bell to me of, hey, this person needs to get checked out right now? Oh, yes. Um, so the most common symptoms include fever, headache, and a stiff, ne a stiff neck. As you can see, these are pretty non-specific symptoms. So additional symptoms might include nausea, vomiting, photophobia, and altered mental status or confusion. So these last two symptoms, such as photophobia, and altered mental status are really, really alarming. And as soon as you have any of these symptoms, we should go and see a doctor. Now, these, when these bacteria can enter into our blood system or bloodstream, we call it as a meningococcal septicemia or invasive meningococcal disease, which is the most severe form of the disease and that may include symptoms like fatigue, cold hand and feet and chills, severe pain in muscle, joints, chest or abdomen, rapid breathing, diarrhea, or dark purple rash on the skin. So that, that is another particular thing that uh, physicians are lo we, look, we should look for. However, these are adults and newborn babies may not have or may it may be difficult to notice some of the symptoms so if you have fever for new babies you don't wait you should take this um, to your healthcare provider yeah because a fever in a small child whether it's meningitis or something else is a bad bad situation exactly so right now we are hopefully coming out of our COVID 19 pandemic what has that done to the meningitis vaccine rate? Has it helped? Has it hurt? Well, before I go there in details, let me give you the overall picture of meningitis vaccination rate in the U.S. So according to CDC data, and I'm talking about pre-COVID, the first dose of meningitis ACWI vaccination rate was 89% in the U.S. So that means 11% adolescents were not vaccinated and that actually represents 1.83 million unvaccinated adolescents in the US. 
But more concerning is if you look at the second vaccine, because CDC recommends ACWI two dose vaccine, right? One is uh, second dose is at 16 years. The, the, the vaccination rate for second dose in the US is only 54%. Only 54. That is way, way behind. We are really behind as a nation. We can certainly do better uh, to improve the second dose of vaccination. And for men B, vaccination rate is only 22% in the US. So we are we really need to work on that too. But let's talk about how COVID-19 impacted our overall vaccination rate. It's it's already known that COVID-19 impacted all age group, not only adolescents, pediatric, adolescent, adult, because people are scared to go to the doctor office visit because of the COVID-19. So according to data from IQVIA claim data, and they have actually calculated two different time points. One is before one year before the pandemic and one year during the pandemic, which is 2019 and 2020. And what they have found out that among all ages nationally, main ACW claim was down by 12%. But I can give you some numbers that might make you a little happy. In Virginia, this number actually down by only 5%. So it did better than most of the states. Hey, go us. Yeah. But however, in Maryland, our neighboring state, it was down by 13% and in D.C. by 33%. So... If you are in Virginia, if Virginia certainly from this claim data, again, this is just a claim data, looks like Virginia did little better uh, compared to neighboring state or national. What can rural hospitals and clinics do to share information about meningitis with their communities? Well, uh, the community, they can proactively reach out to their patient because they know who their patients are, who they know, what is their age, where they are going. They have a trusting relationship with their community. They can also provide a flyer. They can send in post in social media. They can um, send email, phone call. There are so many ways that a healthcare provider can engage with their community. And these are some of the ways uh, that can be done to increase the awareness so that parents and children can bring themselves to the office and get vaccinated. And the last question, the question I ask all my guests, if you could do anything, what would you do to improve health and health care in rural America? Wow, that is a very interesting question. It's a big question. Anything you want. It is a big question, yes. Um, one thing is that there are disparity. We know that there is a disparity uh, the, in our healthcare system. The people living in the rural setting do not get adequate treatment because of there is not enough hospital, not enough pharmacies, not enough doctors. People really do not, a physician do not want to go to rural area and spend uh, a uh, good percentage of their life there. So if I am in charge, I would really, really encourage our physician, our nurse care provider to really focus and go to the areas where they are needed because that is their uh, motto to help people. And 
bring as many facility that can be built uh, modern hospital modern equipment modern uh, pharmacy along with uh, adequate number of physician and nurse and all other healthcare provider and increase oh, first of all increase the awareness among the community that we have the facility and we have the proper treatment and we need to communicate we need to build the trust between the community and this healthcare system and that is one way we can change I think that's great, and that's how we can also help get people vaccinated. Yes, and I think so. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, too. That's Dr. Hassan and his vision for community engagement. World Meningitis Day is April 24th. Look for links to more information in our show notes. VRHA is one of the co-sponsors of the upcoming Appalachian Communities Opioid Response Summit. Join us online May 19th. For details and registration, visit vrha.org and click the event link on the right side of the page. The Rural Health Voice is the podcast of the Virginia Rural Health Association. It is sponsored by the Virginia State Office of Rural Health and underwritten by the National Rural Health Association.